1: Take your Bibles, if you will, and uh, your sermon outline. I want to continue this morning to lay the groundwork for the entire year. I'm just trying to get you to think about things that are eternal so that you might have a proper perspective in life and set your priorities in proper order and then know your purpose, uh, why God has you here. And my first point, I want to talk about three things that are eternal. And the first one, I want you to write this down is the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. Matthew 24, verse 35, says that heaven and earth, which is where you live, will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Psalm 119, verse 89, says your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. We've talked in recent weeks about how nations rise and fall, that kingdoms come and go, but the Word of God will never pass away. We have seen throughout history, all you have to do is study history, we know that atheists have denied it, and agnostics have ignored it, and Hollywood can scorn it, and comedians can mock it, and politicians can make rules against it. And culture and popular opinion can attempt to change it, but the Bible will never pass away. I read an article recently that said, a thousand years, and you know this, a thousand years from now, no one will know anything about you. They won't know your name, they won't know what you did, they won't know where you lived. But a thousand years from now, two thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, if life exists, the Bible will still be here. There are so many stories about people who've tried to get rid of the Bible. Once there was a famous French atheist. I have a picture of him. His name was Voltaire. He openly declared that 20 years, and 20 years, Christianity will be no more. He said, my single hand shall destroy the edifice that took the 12 apostles to build. He's speaking of the church. He further proclaimed within 50 years, no one will even remember that Christianity ever existed on the planet earth. Before that year was over, a British museum paid the Russian government half a million dollars for one Bible manuscript and copies of Voltaire's writings were selling in the London bookstore for eight cents apiece. 50 years later, Voltaire's home became the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society and was being used to produce and distribute Christian scriptures. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. (laughs) There was a man named Thomas Paine. He was an English writer and influencer of the American Revolution in the 18th century. He was also an infidel. He predicted He had a printing press, and he ran all these uh, pamphlets, and he predicted that in his lifetime that no Bibles would ever be printed. After his death, that very printing press that he printed all that garbage was used to print and produce Bibles that went around the world. Now, here's a guy named William Tyndale. And William Tyndale was the first person to ever translate the Bible, the New Testament, into English. Now, there's a couple things you need to know about that. For over a thousand years, the only Bibles were in Latin. And when you went to church, from the beginning to the end of the service, it was all in Latin. Now, no one spoke Latin. Latin was a dead language. And you just have to sit there and listen to it. And people went. That's what surprises me. (laughs) But the church believed that if they could control the language that they could control the people and so it was against the law of the land and against the law of the church for anyone to have a bible in their own language and william tyndale believed that the church should not have that kind of power over the people he believed that the people should be able to have a bible in their own native language and I've told this to you before, you shouldn't come to church without a Bible. Because if you come to church without a Bible, I can stand up here and tell you anything I want to say, and you'd have to say, yeah, he said it, I guess i got to do that. <laughs> but when you bring a Bible with you, and I say, look this verse up, and you look at it, that's how I'm held accountable. People ask me all, this, all the time, they go, pastor, who holds you accountable? I go anyone who comes to my church with the bible that's who holds me accountable so william tyndale believed that everyone deserved the bible now it was against the law of the land so when he eventually produces the new testament in english so you can read it they ended up throwing him in jail for a year and a half and then they took him out of the jail cell and they tied him and they burned him at a stake. They literally burned him alive. And what was his crime? So that you could sit here today with the Bible in English. He was the first person to ever translate the Bible into modern English. Now when he was producing these New Testaments, there was an archbishop of London. His name was Woolsey. And Woolsey, of course, was with the church and did not believe that people should be reading the Bible in English, only in Latin. And so... He was collecting all the Bibles he could find, and he was burning them out front of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And in order to keep the fires burning, Woolsey wanted and needed a steady supply of Bibles. And so he would buy any Bible that he could find just so he could burn it. And he met a merchant by the name of Packington who overheard his desire to purchase Bibles, and the merchant said that he could supply as many Bibles as the bishop wanted. And what the archbishop didn't know that was Packington was in business with William Tyndale. And immediately Packington went to Tyndale. He goes, I know you're a poor man with a pile of these New Testaments and you've spent everything you have to print these Bibles, but I have someone who will buy all of them. He said, who's that? He said, it's the Bishop of London. And William Tyndale said, well, why would he want to buy these Bibles? And he said, he wants to burn them. And with that, Tyndale smiled for three reasons. He said, number one, I'll finally be able to get out of debt. Number two, the whole world will cry out against the burning of Bibles. But he said, number three, I will charge him so much that the surplus will enable me to print even more Bibles than what I have now. And so the bishop got his Bibles to burn and Tyndale got his money to make more Bibles. And later, when even more New Testaments started flooding the streets of England, the bishop couldn't figure it out. The more Bibles he burned, the more Bibles on the streets. And he didn't know that he was the one that was actually paying for all of them. But the real reason is in 1 Peter 1.24 that says, for all men are like grass, all their glory, which is their fame, their accolades, their achievements, their accomplishments... Uh, Men's glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and their glory falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. (laughs) The Bible has survived being banned. It has survived being collected and burned. It has survived being ridiculed and scorned. It has survived against claims that it is outdated or man-made. It has survived against those who have sought to destroy it. The New Testament that you have is some 2,000 years old. The Old Testament is 3,500 years old. Just a few years ago in 1947, in the caves of Qumran, they found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls and buried in jars and in caves. And what's important for you to realize is that they were put in those caves during the times of Christ. They were 2,000 years old. In other words, when Jesus was here on the earth, there were scribes that were writing down Old Testament Scriptures, right? And the Romans were coming to destroy the Jewish people, and so there were some scribes down by the Dead Sea that was writing all the bibles and the scrolls and they would put them in jars and they would hide them in the caves just for protection and it was only in 1947 that a shepherd boy threw a rock in one of those caves and he heard it it hit something and it broke and he climbed in there and it was a jar and they opened it up they didn't know what it was and it got to some hebrew scholars and they discovered these were scriptures that are 2000 years old now most of them had fallen apart they were like little potato chips but they found some that were complete, and they found in those jars, 2,000 years old, the complete book of Isaiah. Completely intact. The entire book. I've seen the original. And when they unscrolled it, you have to understand it's been in the ground for 2,000 years. A lot of time has gone by, a lot of history in the last 2,000 years, all kinds of people saying, well, how do I know that's really the Bible? When they opened up the book of Isaiah and they looked at it, word for word, it was exactly as it is in your Bible right now, the book of Isaiah. They looked at it, well, it hasn't changed, hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Today, the Bible has been translated in over 2,000 languages. And imagine if one nation or one kingdom said we need to ban the Bible and they tried to get rid of it. Well, there's still 1,999 other translations of the Bible. And today with the Internet, they'll never get rid of the Bible. The Word of God is eternal. Number two, write this down. The soul of man. The Bible speaks very clearly about this. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to look up a couple verses. Go to Psalm 139 as quickly as you can. Psalm 139. We believe... That life begins at conception. We don't believe that life begins at birth. We believe that life begins at conception. You say, well, why would you believe that? Well, because I believe the Word of God is eternal. And the Word of God tells us that life begins at conception. You say, where's that? Well, it's right here. Haven't you read it? Well, I'll read it to you right now, just in case you haven't. The psalmist says to God, God, you created my inmost being. God, you knit me together inside my mother's womb. So here's the question. When I was inside my mother's womb, what was God doing? According to that verse, he was just knitting me together. And when was he doing that? When I was where? Inside my mother's womb. Now watch this. The psalmist says, I praise you, God, because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now, here here it is, verse 16. Your eyes, God, the eyes of God, saw my unformed body. Now, watch this. I'm in my mother's womb and god said all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be i want you to think about that i i'm 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 only showing you this to show you something else but i want you to think about you and your life and when you when you were inside your mother's womb you when you were inside your mother's womb god was knitting you together And the Bible says that all the days of your life were ordained and already written down before you were born. He knew that you would be here today. He knew your skin color. He knew your eye color. He knew how tall you'd be. He knew how much you'd weigh. He knew where you'd be sitting here today. It was all written down. Life begins at conception. But I want to tell you something that's even deeper than that. Go over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you, I knew you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought when I was in the womb you were knitting me together. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you, I knew who you were and he says in that verse before you were born i set you apart and i appointed you to be a prophet to the nations here's what i believe i believe that life begins at conception but i believe that before before conception god knows who you are before you were formed before you were conceived before before i knit you together in my mind i already knew who you were going to be And so then when you're conceived, that's when he creates what he's already thought. He says, before I created you, before I formed you, I decided, Jerry, that you were going to be a prophet to the nation of Israel and that you would stand and declare the word of God to the the people of Israel before he formed Jeremiah. Now, life begins and you're born. No matter what you believe, you do believe that you were born, right? Right. And you're made in the image of God, and God is eternal, and you live five years, you get to live five years, you get to live 15 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, maybe a hundred. Do not think that life consists just of this life, but here's what happens. The earthly body will one day die, but your soul, the essence of who you are, is ushered into a place called eternity. Eternity. Every single person, I want you looking around this room, every single one of you have a human body, and every single one of you, this very moment, right now, while you're sitting here, that frail body is deteriorating. I don't care how much makeup you put on, <laughs> how many jumping jacks you do, or how far you run or can ride a bike, right now, your body is deteriorating this very second. The wrinkles are coming and eventually you're all going to croak you're going to die but here's what happens look at ecclesiastes 12 here it is when you die here's what the bible teaches this eternal word of god says that the dust returns to the ground from which it came And the spirit or the soul returns to God who gave it. And if you understand that, if you really truly understand that you're only here for a little while and then you're going to die and this old body that came from the dirt is going to be put back into the ground and turned back into dirt, but the spirit, your spirit, your soul is going to continue on, you would realize how valuable the brief few years on earth that you actually have and you would spend every waking moment of your time on this earth serving an almighty God, knowing that one day you're going to be ushered into that eternity. Mark 8.36 says this, "What What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Leave that up on that screen. Look at it. What good is it if a man makes a billion dollars? What good is it if a man wins a thousand national championships? What good is it if a man has a hundred million people following him on Instagram? What good is it if you have 50,000 pairs of shoes in your closet? What good is it if you have 20,000 pieces of jewelry? What good is it if you own 500 Ferraris? What good is it if you have 1,700 gold Rolex watches? What good is it if you have 10,000 Bitcoin? You got all that, yet you forfeit your own soul. What he's saying is that your one soul is worth more than the entire world put together. There are 8 billion people on this earth. They've all been born. They're all living. But they will all one day die they'll be placed in the ground but then what happens to all eight billion of us john chapter five tells us these words do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and what verse 29 says you're going to come out And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The soul of man is eternal. Don't live for just now. Live for the eternal. And number three, write this down. The Word of God is eternal. The soul of man is eternal. And the love of God is eternal. We know that God is eternal. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God God is eternal. We learn from 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. So if you do the math, God is eternal and God is love, then God's love is eternal. The grace of God is eternal. The mercy of God is eternal. In Psalm 136, there are 26 verses. If you just look at the first verse, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. But it has this line, His love endures forever. And in each of those 26 verses, in one chapter, it says, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. There's 26 verses in one chapter, and in every verse, 26 times in that one chapter, it says, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. There's two times. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. 26 times, he's trying to tell you something. His love endures forever.
0: It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, He would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing His people to take possession of the Promised Land. In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today. You will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order this book directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.